0: Hey, y'all. Matt here. You're listening to Dogpile. And Dogpile, the podcast, is proudly sponsored by Mississippi Land Bank. Land Bank. Visit them online, mslandbank.com. Great folks, the kind of people that you want to do business with. So if you're in North Mississippi and you have a land need, any kind of need, like you're selling it, you're wanting to buy it for farmland or building a home or it's recreational, you know, hunting property, anything land-related, trust me, Start at Mississippi Land Bank. And if you don't know where the branch office is near you or the number to call or anything like that, just go to mslandbank.com and you'll see names and faces and phone numbers right there in your area. So check them out. And also, this podcast is always brought to you by Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point. Jubilations is in North Mississippi Kroger's and other stores. Uh, you can find them right there in the Golden Triangle told you before they're great giveaway uh i'm sorry uh, uh fundraiser items of course you could give them away but they're great fundraiser items as well hey and since i had a little faux pas I said giveaway what we're gonna do <laughs> is we are gonna give one away brett hudson are you ready to
1: give away a cheesecake to a lucky listener i i cannot wait and you uh you gave me the trivia question uh before we hit record and i'm i'm really interested to see how many people end up getting this right and how quickly they do it because this is this is not an easy question by by any stretch of the imagination because when you gave me the question i tried to answer it a few different ways and granted only one of them was was correct there's just a lot of different ways you could go with this question and i'm curious which one of the the smart listeners out there goes the correct direction first
0: yeah, well, and I think it's a pretty tough one, too, because if you're listening, you're going to have to be specific. So here's how this yes. contest is going to work. We have, um, obviously, this awesome relationship with Jubilation's Cheesecake, and you can have whatever kind you want. This is going to be made-to-order for you if you're the winner of this cheesecake we're giving away from Jubilation's. But the the trivia question You know, I'm not giving you a pack of gum here. I mean, this is a premium (laughs) food item. It's going to be custom made. So it's a pretty tough trivia question. So I'm going to pose the trivia question right now. When I do, in order to win it, you need to be the first person to tweet the correct answer to this trivia question to both me and Brett. The way to win it Again, you gotta, you got to notch all these categories. You must tweet to me, I am Radio Wyatt. You must tag Brett Hudson. He is Brett underscore Hudson. And you must use the hashtag dogpile. Okay? So tweet your answer to at Radio Wyatt, to at Brett Hudson with the hashtag dogpile. And if your answer is correct, specifically, you're the first one to get it that way. You'll win and you'll get a direct message from me and we'll exchange details there on how to get your cheesecake to you. Does that sound good, Brett?
1: I like it. I'm I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Okay. All right. So, let's see. I need some effect. How can I do this? Let me try this right here. Like this is <laughs> this is pretty low production because I'm just holding my phone up to the microphone, Brett. Does that work though? You can hear it okay? <laughs> All right. So here's the trivia question Jake Mangum needs seven more hits to accomplish this benchmark in Mississippi State baseball history. Jake Mangum, here I am repeating it. Jake Mangum needs seven more hits to reach this benchmark in Mississippi State baseball history. Now, tweet your answer to me, Radio Wyatt, to Brett underscore Hudson with the hashtag dogpile, all three of those things, and if you're the first to get that right, you're going to be the winner. All right, so what do you think? A little Jeopardy music there. Yeah, and I will tell you, Brett, um, when I first – I feel justified, and I came up with a good trivia question – Because when I gave it to you, you had a hard time with it. (laughs) Yeah. You know? So I feel justified.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think think what's particularly interesting about it is, you know, we've been monitoring Jake Mangum's history that he's going to make this year like a hawk. But this particular bit of history that answers this question is one that no one's really talking about. Like Mm -hmm. we've always – we've all been talking about – the career hits records and batting average and all that other stuff. But we haven't talked about this specific thing in Mississippi state baseball history. It's, it's fascinating. And it kind of opened my eyes to something when, when you gave me the answer. So I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting a listener smarter than I who (laughs) who got this thing immediately.
0: Yeah. It's going to be fun to see what guesses we get when the podcast posts and um, we'll see how it goes. What what I'll do is, you know, somebody may get it right away. They may just go, boom, there it is. And they'll be the winner. And, and uh, we'll talk about them on the next podcast. If it takes a little while, though, I might do something like, I don't know, later today, tonight, something, I might jump on Periscope and, and drop a hint or two if people need it, if we haven't done it. So we'll play that by ear since it's the first giveaway. But to reiterate, yeah. we really appreciate Jubilation's doing this for us. Not only sponsoring, but giving us a uh, cheesecake to give away and And we'll go over the flavors with you and all that kind of stuff, too. So appreciate that.
1: Now, so so I'm just trying to think this thing through, and there's really nothing preventing me from creating a burner account and winning this thing, right? (laughs) Oh Well, yeah, there is,
0: because ultimately, the person who wins is either going to have this shipped to them, or they're going to have to come by and pick it up. We're going to find you out one way or the other, Brett, if you pull a fast one. Put it that way.
1: I I could easily send this thing to my wife's workplace and get away with it. Well,
0: see, but here's, well, you could, here's the other thing though. Is like, if there's gotta be some communication and, and you like most people, but you have little tells in your, um, speech and communication. Like if you ever, I just put it this way, folks, if a burner account ever tweets you and says something like shouts to Jake Mangum, you know, it's Brett, (laughs) you know, it's him. You know, like if this burner account—if this burner account ever really, um, you know, starts going off about how old David Murray is, you know, it's Brett Hudson, dude, <laughs> right? Like, so there are tales, Brett. We're gonna figure—we're gonna figure you yeah, out. Yeah,
1: you're, you're—you're probably right. Okay, <laughs> I'll, uh, I guess I'll play by the rules just—just just this one time. If this burner—if
0: um, this burner account starts tweeting out pictures of working poolside with his feet propped up. It's probably yeah, I Brett.
1: That.
0: <laughs> I thought it was great. I was jealous. You know what, Brett? Let me just let you in on a little something here. So like when you get old, which I am now, <laughs> you know, your life changes and and kind of rightfully. So for me anyway, I'm at a time in my life where there's less and less recreation in my life. And and I'm okay with that because I enjoy my work so much, but it's like a constant work thing. There's never a time really where I'm in a scenario, I don't like wear shorts anymore, okay? <laughs> I, I'm never at a pool. I'm not on a golf course. I'm not out. In fact, I don't like paying somebody to mow my yard. It, I just kind of have to about half the time. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not even out there doing that. So when I saw that immediately, I thought, you know what? Man, I need to get to a pool somewhere to develop even the slightest little tan so that I can take it all next week at the SEC baseball tournament without having to walk around and wear blue jeans every day. <laughs> there you go. You know? And so I saw you sitting by the pool. I was slightly jealous. I'll be totally honest.
1: Well, well, that's why that's why you bring the computer out to the pool and make it <laughs> make it productive. Get get a couple hours of work in. That's exactly what I did.
0: Yeah. And a boy. So work, um, let's get into it. Uh, here on Dogpile, presented by Mississippi Land Bank and Jubilations Cheesecake, you um, you had a midweek game where a State gets a win, and now your Bulldogs are perfect, undefeated this year, in midweek games. And I and I heard the little video where afterwards, um, after the game, Coach Lamona said, you know, he said, I'm not sure I've ever been a part of a team who did that, and I'm not sure it's ever happened here before going totally undefeated in midweek games.
1: It's, it's pretty impressive, really. And I, I think it all goes back to uh, something he made pretty clear about his approach early in the season, mm-hmm. which was when when he got this job, he accurately, correctly analyzed and evaluated this roster and saw a team that could be a top eight national seed. And he just refused to let anything get in the way of that. He refused to let a couple of midweek losses hurt your RPI to the point that you mess up what could be a top eight national seed and hosting a regional and a super regional in that $68 million stadium played in for the first time in its new form, in its completed mm. form. And it, this these kinds of things happen all the time. I know we talked about midweek stuff with LSU on, on the pod somewhat recently, but just just kind of run yourself through this situation. Like, if you're Chris Lamonis and you, you wake up on Monday morning, uh, the day the brackets come out, and you find out that you're a 10 seed or a 9 seed or an 11 seed, and you're thinking, man, we were so close to that Super Regional. How did we miss it? Well, our RPI is 18. That was probably too much to overcome. Why was our RPI 18? Because we lost two midweek games. Yeah. Just how... Uh, how much sleep would you lose over the fact that two midweek losses more or less cost you an opportunity to host mm. a super regional in yeah. that $68 million stadium that you can pack 15,000 people into and will pack 15,000 pe- people into when that Starkville super regional ultimately comes? Um, I just, it, it says something about the coaching staff to prioritize that and I actually said that said that with some uh radio friends in Louisiana yesterday that Peyton Plumley your current Sunday starter was starting those midweek games for the first 5 6 weeks of the year that's yeah. how serious they took those games you've got a guy who's your Sunday guy who is dominating SCC competition right now he was taking midweek starts on Tuesdays and Wednesdays against UAB and East Carolina early in the year that's how serious they've taken these midweek games and then a lot of credit goes to the roster too i mean like cole gordon had a quote last night about just how hard it is to get up and have a good strong performance in these midweeks after a 15 round fifth fight that is an sec weekend with all the ups and downs and the roller coaster of emotions that can come with that. It, you're just physically drained and drained in every way mm. after an SEC weekend. So for, for a team to consistently rise to the occasion of a midweek after something like that, 15 and O right. It's, yeah. it's really impressive when, when someone eventually writes the book about the 2018 and 19 Mississippi state baseball seasons. And as wild as they were, This is one of the things that's going to be just a footnote in it because if all works out well, they'll have back-to-back Omaha appearances and all these win records and crazy statistics and Jake Mangum and everything else. This is one of the more impressive things that I've seen done in what is now my three seasons on this Mississippi State baseball beat, going Mm -hmm. undefeated in midweek games like this. And that sounds ridiculous when you look at the competition that you play in in midweek games, when when you've got teams like Texas Southern and Arkansas Pine Bluff and Grambling and Mississippi Valley State in your midweek schedule, um, but it's just the circumstances and the importance relative to this year's expectations that make it very impressive what they just did, what they just accomplished. Yeah,
0: no doubt. Well, and you know things like <clears throat> you think about years past. Omaha teams last year, you know, you go back to 13. They've had Omaha teams that have lost, like given up double-digit runs to Eastern Kentucky in midweek games. You know, just stuff like that is going to happen to everybody. And then this year, Brett, this team in the midweek has been behind early in a lot of midweek games, right? I mean, I can – We could go back and specifically on the schedule start looking at them and find some midweek games they were down four to nothing and down five to nothing and then they you know managed to come back and fight back and win those games seven
1: nothing against Memphis
0: right that's right they were down seven nothing against Memphis and gosh you know this team has been so resilient that you get back to the point that even when they were down seven nothing early. You know, most of the time, fan bases, you're down 7-0 early in a midweek game. Most of the time, most fan bases go, well, that's it. You know, you're going to lose this one. That's just what it is, what it is. But State's fan base, I think even when that one goes, uh, oh, there's a lot of baseball left. We're probably going to come back and win, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just because you've seen them do it so much. It's just – it really is incredible. And, ten, and to this point in the year, you know, 10 losses all year long to this point. It's just – it's just hard to wrap your mind around, honestly. And and another uh, stat uh, about that, um, let me see if I I really wanted to find this for you because, yeah, of the 10 losses, listen to this, of the 10 losses, four of them have been one-run games. And three of those one-run games are against ranked opponents. In the midweek. Wow. Well, I'm sorry, not in the midweek. But just three of the one-run losses were against ranked teams, and the other one's against Southern Miss. Huh. So, wow. yeah, I mean, it's just that stat right there. When you go ten losses, four of them are the one-runners. I mean, you're, you're, it's just incredible what they've been able to accomplish. And, you know, at this point, what you do is, if you haven't already, we've been doing it for a while, Brett, but if anybody listening hasn't done this already, it, it's time to – all of us stop overanalyzing, you know, the team and just realize this is a great team. Now, whether whether or not they're remembered in terms of greatness will depend on the postseason run. And in and in baseball, crazy stuff happens. Crazy stuff happens. National seeds, it's every year don't make it out of their own regional. Crazy stuff happens. So that's how it'll be remembered ultimately. But this is a great team.
1: You agree with that? It, it is. I, I agree. Yeah, he, uh, I'll, I'll end it with, with this. Uh, a good note from Robbie Falk, he, he pointed out that you don't get to stack wins up to this level if you don't win these midweek games. And these midweek games have helped State become just the 10th team in program history to win 40 regular season games. Six of the nine teams prior to this one that did that went to Omaha. Is that right? Six of the nine Mississippi State forty-win baseball teams went to went to Omaha. This wow. is number ten, and they've yeah. obviously got the uh, the inside track to to do it again. I've got a few other things to to hit on, but before I do that, I, I just want I'm looking at Twitter right now. Did you see? The pitch that Jared Lee Belt threw last night. Okay, I I watched you
0: tweeted it and I saw it on my phone, um, and so the the video was kind of small. I'm actually going to pull it up right now on this computer so that I could yeah, see. Yeah,
1: I, I want I want your live reaction to to this pitch on on this podcast. It is disgusting. It is a 94 mile an hour two seamer that drops off the face of planet Earth. Right. If you haven't seen this. Find me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson. I tweeted it late last night. It's it's just absolutely gross. You got Good that video? Grief.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it right now.
1: Right? Holy cow! What in the world? I, That's impossible. Right. You can't hit that pitch.
0: So, and it originally, uh, let's see, it originally came from um, the Hale State Baseball account, and you retweeted yeah. that, and they called it unbelievable movement. Um. Good grief. I'm not sure that – and you say, okay, this is 94 miles per hour. This pitch, all right, I, mean, I, you know, if I could describe it for someone who hasn't seen it, let's just say you're listening to the podcast right now. It's going to take you a little bit to get to your computer, your phone, <laughs> where you could watch and this it. This pitch starts in the middle of the strike zone. He throws a pitch it, to a right-handed and hitter. on
1: the turf on the batter's box line.
0: Yeah, that's it. What what Brett said is not an exaggeration. So if you can picture this, you got a right-handed hitter in the batter's box against Lee Belt. The pitch begins in the heart of the plate. I've paused. It's a three-second video. I've paused it one second into it, and the the pitch has traveled uh, two-thirds of its travel to the plate, and it's over the heart of the plate. Okay, it's a strike yep. in the dead center bullseye of the plate. If you run it a frame forward, less than a second forward, in the last third of its travel, it breaks into the right-handed hitter and sinks down into the dirt on the uh, inside line of the batter's box. So I think what I probably am going to do, I'm going to have to do this, and that is do a screen capture of winding this thing back so you can see where it is halfway there and see where that pitch finishes. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It's,
1: it's crazy, it's stupid. Um, and, and again, you can find that on Twitter. I, I very much suggest that you do. That was that that might be the filthiest pitch I've seen this year. That was that was just ridiculous. So so we actually shockingly have some news to hit on, right. um, and it has to do with right field. Uh, okay. So people may remember that Elijah re aggravated the foot injury. Uh, that he had earlier in the season people may remember him being the dh in the governor's cup game to get himself off of that foot for a little bit uh he re-aggravated it during a double in the sunday game at oxford uh Lamone, he did not play in the uh in the midweek game lamona said after the game that they're hoping he misses two weeks uh so he had surgery on on the foot and he was on crutches and in and pretty big bandaging uh, during the, the midweek game. So you won't see him for the rest of the regular season and for the SEC tournament in Hoover. Um, They're they're hoping that they can get him back in time for a regional. Now, before we kind of spin this thing forward, I would like to add a little bit of context to this and what the injury is. For, for all intents and purposes, this is a stress fracture. And it has been a stress fracture yeah. for a long time. And McNamee's been playing through it. So – people who've had stress fractures before, people who are aware of what they are, you just need rest, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you need to let your body heal it before you can continue on at full go. So this this kind of thing was probably bound to happen for him at some point anyway, be it after the season before he gets on to a, a minor league assignment with somebody or whether he does it now. Or whether he did it when he first heard it, which, uh, I mean, if I were just to use context clues, I would say was probably sometime in maybe the first half of April or so. Um, yeah. So uh, I think McNamee deserves some credit because it would have been very easy to get hurt, have that stress fracture, and just immediately take like two weeks right there. But he didn't. He, did, he tried to play through it, and he, he battled like, like crazy, very painful and good on him. Because now, with him in the lineup, they've gotten to this kind of a point in the season where after that sweep in Oxford, they've more or less wrapped up uh, a top eight uh, national seed, of a regional and a super regional here in Starkville if they earned that super regional. They've earned all of this with him in the lineup to the point that they can afford to sit him for a couple weeks and hopefully let him get healthy and get right for, for a regional, because what happens in the final week of the regular season and in that week in Hoover, it isn't really consequential in terms of the postseason hopes. Like they are, they are what they are for the most part. They're going to be a top eight national seed. Mm-hmm. So credit to goes to Elijah for playing through yeah. what I've come to understand is a pretty intense amount of pain yeah. and, and getting state to this point where they've locked all this up and they can afford for him to heal himself. And in theory, get right for, for a regional. So, so credit to him there, but I, I want to get your thoughts on what state does at right field going forward, because I thought it was a pretty easy answer, but then coach Lamona said something last night that kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah.
0: Well, and I have this image of Josh Hatcher, Making that diving catch in yeah. right field, you know, the other day against Ole Miss, and the truth about it is, prior to that, I had no idea Josh could play right field. I'm just being totally honest. You know, I always thought of Josh as an infielder. You know, really, right, a first baseman and a and a left handed hitter. Um. So, kind of when I saw the an- injury happen, and you kind of see the way it was handled, I just started thinking, you know. This has been a coach and a staff who would flexibly just in and out of the lineup, right handed, left handed DHs, depending on matchup, depending on what kind of pitchers throw what versus what hitter you want at the plate, seeing it. It's like these minute little details that tell them, well, this is the guy we'll put at DH in this game. You know, they've used all. So it's a much more important decision because you got to factor in the defensive part of this. But I, my gut tells me, Brett, that you're probably going to see a deal where, when the opposing pitcher is left-handed, you may see um, Cumbus out there, and when the yep. opposing pitcher is right—I'm sorry, left-handed, right-handed—I'll get it right. Dadgummit! When the opposing pitcher is right-handed, you're probably going to see Hatcher out
1: there. Am I? What do you think? I, I see. That's exactly what I thought. I thought they would kind of do with it what they did. In that, uh, in that Sunday game at Ole Miss, yeah. where they start either Hatcher or Cumbass, and they roll with that person as long as the matchups deem it necessary because this this coaching staff is all about individual yeah. hitter-v-pitcher matchups. I figured they would roll with their starter until their matchups dictate they do otherwise, and then you can either just go straight to the other. So if you start Cumbass – go straight to Hatcher in a pinch hit slash substitution. Yeah. Or if you start Hatcher, just go straight to Cumbis in a pinch hit slash substitution. Or you can also use any bevy of of pinch hit options, be them most likely Luke Hancock, uh, but also uh, Landon Jordan to a certain extent, Hayden Jones to a certain extent. You, you can go to any of those options and then substitute the other end as the fielder. That's what they did in that Sunday game. They had Cumbis. Start. He got used as a pit. Uh, excuse me. Um, Hancock got used as a pinch hitter for Columbus. Easy for me to say. And then Hatcher substituted in right field and made that diving catch in and finished the game in the field. That's what I, I thought it was pretty simple. I figured that's what the the somewhat obvious answer was. But then apparently Lamona said post game that Gunnar Halter is also an option for right field. I wondered about that last night. I sure did. I had that thought run
0: across my head. I'm going, wait, a minute. you know, if you can play shortstop, you can play right field. And he, what was it, one game or multiple games where they had obviously Gilbert starting at third, but they had Halter as the DH? Was that one game? Oh, they've done that a few times.
1: Okay. Yeah, Halter's been Halter's been a DH of of late, and that that was just interesting to me because if he's even average to above average in right field i think he might be the easiest answer mm. from a lineup management perspective because you don't have to mix and match your fielders in that previous um kind of configuration i mentioned where you play the matchups and and substitute guys accordingly you don't have to worry about what you do in the field yeah. when you do that you can do that at dh where where halter is now macnamy what McNamee gives you is above-average defense and a great bat yeah. in, in right field. If Gunnar Halter can give you – I mean, recently he's been a, a great bat, but that's, that's probably a recent hot streak. If he can at least give you above-average defense and an above-average bat in right field, yeah, I honestly think that's the answer because then you can play as much as you want in the DH spot with that combination of Cumbis, Tatcher, and Hancock. But I'm a little hesitant on that just because I've never seen Halter yeah. play right field. Right. Like yeah. you mentioned, Hatcher, you didn't know he could play right field. He got some reps at left field mm-hmm. early in the year, mostly in practice and, and pregame warm-ups and stuff. But he got some reps in left field early in the year when Rowdy Jordan was slumping real bad. That was their contingency plan. If if Rowdy never got out of that, I bet they would have turned to Josh Hatcher Yeah, okay. in, in left field. So I knew he could play outfield i would never seen him play right just like just like you hadn't and i i don't think i've ever seen Gunnar halter take a single rep in the outfield now i wasn't at every single fall practice i wasn't at every single january practice so maybe he has and and no one but the coaching staff and the 34 other guys on this roster know. but if if Gunnar can be a competent right fielder I think that's the easy answer because you keep his currently smoking hot bat yeah. in the lineup every single day. He's got the athleticism to give you quality defense there. And then you get to play around with the matchups and your DH and your pinch hitters with as much ease as possible. Because if you do that in the right field slot, you got to be careful with Luke Hancock because he can't play right field. Right. Uh, but Gunnar Holtz can. And that would certainly make things easier. So I, I wonder if there's an added layer of importance, not only to ge- keep Gunnar Halter's hot bat in the lineup every single day, but also for him to do well defensively, because that would just make this so much easier for the coaching staff.
0: Well, and he is a certainly a good enough athlete to play in the outfield. Yes. And, and then it's just a matter of, you know the familiarity with seeing the ball off the bat from those angles and that is a huge part of it you know like you get a line drive hit at you uh you know it's at your eye level off the bat and you're in the outfield if you're not used to it you don't know if it's hit hard or not you don't yeah. know if it you don't know if it's you know play it back and you got to let it bounce or if it's I go get it and make a diving catch and it's seeing the ball off the bat and knowing that kind of stuff and then the other mm-hmm. thing is that you do have to consider. It's not like just pointing out negatives, but with the funky right field dimensions yes. that you have at Duty Noble, and you're going to play really? all these postseason games out there. You know, I guarantee you that the coaching staff has considered that too. Going okay, if it's not Elijah, who ha who has gotten reps out there that is familiar with the ball bouncing around off that thing, how to play it. If ha- if they haven't gotten reps. How do we get them for them real quick? You know, between now and then, because on one side of the coin, this is a great time of year to now have to try somebody new out there because everything's pretty well locked up. Yep, everything's pretty well locked up. State doesn't have to go, and they don't they don't have to go into the SEC tournament with an intense approach that we got to win four games to earn our spot in the tournament. I mean, everything's wrapped up, so. If you were going to experiment some and rest some people and all this kind of stuff, now's the time to do it. <clears throat> like I was thinking last night. Think about it on the mound. If if, if you're the coach and you go into the SEC tournament, you are you like the idea that you're going to take Keegan James and he's going to start your first SEC tournament game, you know, if you're playing yep. on that Wednesday. And, you know, see if he could uh, – you know, find something and do well. So, anyway, to that to that point, you know, back to talking about Gunnar Halter, this is a great time of year this weekend, three games against South Carolina. If you think it's him, put him out there in right field and you hope like heck they hit the ball to him some. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. don't want, you want to win. You don't want him to score, yeah, but you sure would like for him to get some opportunities and kind of see what he is. And, again, a kid that can play shortstop, third base, second base, you know, he's a good enough athlete, certainly. We've heard about his arm. I think he flashed his arm a couple times at third base. You know, we'd heard about how good an arm he has. So it might just be a matter of getting some some reps. And you mentioned his hot bat. He um he he was what he had one plate appearance against La Tech in the midweek last night. Halter uh was walked. he, mm-hmm. he drew a walk. And prior to that he uh, he he went into last night's game on a five-game hit streak. Um, last game, Texas A&M went one for two and I think scored or had a double. And then, you know, had a hit against Memphis and had a really good weekend at the plate against Ole Miss. One for three, two for four, one for five. Drove in a run, had a double mixed in there, scored three runs in the series and seemed to kind of get his back going a little bit.
1: Yeah, in, in that five-game hitting streak, he's gone, if my math is correct – uh yeah six for 15 which is an even 400 he's he's got one of the hotter bats on on the team right now uh and if he can bring that that defense to right field particularly you made a good point with that curved wall mcnamee seems to have really figured that thing out he he seems to i mean i haven't seen him make a mistake on on that thing yet where i've seen a couple of road right fielders make a mistake on that thing which how could they not it's such a funky wall Sure. Uh, but McTominay's got that thing pretty well under control. So if if Gunner can figure that out and and if he has the arm to do it, I, I think there's that's the easiest um, option for for state. But that's that's honestly the biggest thing to monitor in these final two weekends, uh, two weeks of of the regular season is what they do at right field and what they get out of right field. Just because, it, just in the possibility that McNamee is not 100% ready by the time the regional comes around just to be clear I'm not speculating I'm not trying to tell you to prepare to prepare for that I'm just spitballing possibilities like if they do have to wait a little bit longer for McNamee to reinsert himself back into the lineup you do want to make sure you have something solid in in right field especially since that would be NCAA tournament time now unless you have anything else to uh to add to the right-field conversation or, or anything else. I have some pretty preposterous numbers about Ethan Small here. Um, yeah, I, this is what I want. I, I want to
0: throw in one thing about Marshall Gilbert at the plate, and then I'm coming to you for Ethan Small. Yes, please. Um, I tweeted yesterday prior to the La Tech game, Brett, how big a part, how big a role Marshall Gilbert has been playing in, this, in what was a five-game win streak for State leading up to the La Tech game that's a 6 game win streak mm-hmm. you know and so in that 5 game streak leading up to last night which was carried you through the old miss series gilbert in the 9 hole was batting 461 on that streak 6 for 13 5 runs scored 4 RBIs two doubles and a home run in that stretch in those 5 games i mean a <laughs> huge huge stat line in that five-game win streak. Okay, well, now it's a six-game win streak. And partly, again, a huge reason why it's a six-game win streak is last night Gilbert goes two for four with a two-run home run and uh, drove in another run with his other hit. So he's got three RBIs. It was two for four, three RBIs with a home run and a run scored in that game. And now his season average is all the way back up to 317. So now in the 6 game win streak state is on. Gilbert is a combined 8 for 17 batting 470 with Good Lord. with 2 home runs, 7 RBIs and 6 runs scored in that stretch. Yep. How about that? And and the one game the one game in this six-game win streak where he's credited for basically going hitless, he was 0-for-0 0 0 in mm-hmm. that in that uh, second game against Ole Miss, but he reached base four times. He walked twice and got hit twice. <laughs> and then, so you're getting that kind of production out of the nine hole. That's a really, really good sign. I just wanted to make sure we pointed that out because I
1: think he deserves the pat on the back. He does, and that's that's great for the on base percentage, which is now up to four fifty six. Yeah, seventeen walks uh, for for Gilbert this year in eighty two at bats. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. No, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and, and what he's done at third base too. I think we mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, recapping the Ole Miss series, what he did at third base is is important too, because that was clearly a position of need, the only position of need Mississippi State had before this Elijah McNamee thing. In right field so he, he deserves a ton of credit there too but this isn't abnormal for him because he had a stretch during last season where he was the primary catcher and he was he was doing big things now Dustin Skelton got hot at the end last year and, and Gilbert was wasn't much of a factor at the end but that was that was one of those seasons where they needed every single one of those wins Yep. they got there in in the middle because uh, without literally every single one of those wins there's no guarantee that they're in the ncaa tournament in the first place Mm -hmm. and and marshall gilbert played a a big role in the middle of the season and now he's he's doing it when when the leverage is even higher um so let's go to ethan small because excuse me this goes back to a question i got on twitter uh when we did when we requested questions a couple weeks ago somebody wanted me to compare ethan small's junior season to a list of other excellent junior seasons in Mississippi State recent history. And I went searching for it the other day because I was trying to get the research done. And I couldn't find the question anymore. Uh, the, oh. like, and I even did like an advanced search for Twitter on Twitter for it and everything. Like the person must have deleted the tweet. But for some reason, I thought Walking Bully was the one that tweeted it at me. So I tweeted at Walking Bully and was like, hey, didn't you ask – something about Ethan small junior seasons and uh, he or she, I don't know who runs the account said, said no, but looking forward to the answer. And I'm like, well, I can't really answer it. Cause I don't have the list of pitchers that I'm supposed to <laughs> compare Ethan small to, but then walking bully provided me a, a pretty strong list. It felt like it was, it was a good one. He gave me Stratton, Hudson, Wallace and okay. Um So <laughs> that's a pretty list. strong <laughs> list. Right. B.J. Yeah. Wallace, Paul Mahollum, Dakota Hudson, and Chris Stratton. So here's what I did. I took their ERA, their WHIP, their strikeout-to-walk ratio, hits allowed per nine, strikeouts per nine, and walks allowed per nine for, for all of those pitchers. And Ethan Small uh, – th- get ready for this. Ethan Small is .06 walks per nine – away from leading that group in every single one of those categories. Really? Every single one. This is ridiculous. Now, I um I did not include Eric Dubose in, in most of these. Eric Dubose was another name on that list for his, what was that? 97. No, like 97, right? Yeah, 97. For his 97 season. I did not include him in that because someone mentioned him for his strikeouts. In fairness, his... His strikeouts were were pretty impressive. I mean, he still let's see, he still got the season record at state for strikeouts in a season. That's 174. Um, so he still holds those records. Uh, but he actually wasn't a strong pitcher in that junior year. Like he had an ERA of five, a WHIP of like 1.7 or something. But he racked up the strikeouts. So I included his strikeout numbers in this. Uh, but otherwise, I, I didn't just because his numbers weren't as strong. And I'll, um, I'll tweet out – I'll take a screen cap of all these numbers okay and, and tweet out because I know it's kind of hard to remember numbers as you're hearing them, but seeing them might help. So when we post this podcast, I'll, um, I'll, I'll take a screenshot of all these numbers and, and tweet it out for those of you that want to reference the, the chart, for lack of a better word, as you're, okay. as you're listening to it. ERA, Ethan Smalls at 1.73 this year. Nobody else was under 2.3. Okay. Chris Stratton had a 2.38. Hudson, 2.55. B.J. Wallace, 2.69. And Mahalem, 2.76. E- Whoa. Ethan Small is a full run better than Paul Mahalem. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Whip, Ethan Small is at 0.782. Stratton is the only one under one, and he had a 0.994. Mahalem was as high as 1.309. This is, this is incredible. Strikeout-to-walk ratio. Ethan Small, 6.94. Stratton is the closest at 5.08. Hits per nine. Ethan Small, 4.84. Closest to him is Chris Stratton at 6.89. Chris Stratton was allowing two hits per nine more than Ethan Small Mm -hmm. is right now. Ethan Small, 15.2 strikeouts per nine innings. Eric Dubose is closest at 12 strikeouts per nine innings and then walks is the one category that Ethan small doesn't lead because Chris Stratton was at 2.05 walks per nine Ethan small 2.19 just just incredible Mm -hmm. uh, what what Ethan small is doing right now so basically what I'm getting at here is all of these numbers more or less prove through what Ethan small has done right now that of the great junior starting pitching seasons over the last thirty years of Mississippi State baseball, Ethan Small is significantly better than all of them. Literally all of them. Mm-hmm.
0: And and the you know the strikeouts per nine is what I kind of went blah, 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 double take. Wait a minute, fifteen
1: point two.
0: Yeah, and you go okay, well fifteen point, but that's fifteen point two strikeouts per nine innings. And, you know, he hasn't had any complete games um, out there. He's only had three games all year where he threw over 100 pitches. But he doesn't have any complete games. He's, you know, the, his longest outing all year long is seven innings. He went seven against Southern Miss, seven against Tennessee, seven against Texas A&M. You know, could have gone more. Pitch count was really down. Could It certainly was going to go up to six or seven innings against Ole Miss until the the fog delay thing. But,
1: <sighs>
0: sorry, had to bring it up. But, yeah, I mean, that's what – as I remember I was in school with uh, Eric DuBose, and, you know, like you say, he's got the record there in in a season. And he was – nobody could just put the bat on the ball uh, consistently against Eric and so many swings and misses. He was so dominant. And I believe, what, Eric became a first-round pick. but um, He did. And then there's Small sitting there at 15.2 strikeouts per nine inning. You pair that with the walk numbers – it's just incredible uh, you know there's no all the adjectives apply but none of them accurately put it into perspective other than you know what you're doing with these stats he's historically good this year it's incredible
1: and if if he keeps it up keeps this up through the course of the season i don't i just yeah i don't think it's preposterous to label this the best starting pitching season in Mississippi State history if he keeps this up through Omaha. I yeah. just don't I don't understand how that's a, a hot take or, or a bad take by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah. we do have to preview some baseball this this weekend. Should we get to that? Let's get to it. Got about 10 minutes. Okay, so South Carolina series coming up. I'll I'll give you the schedule. The weather looks pretty good last time I I checked, so I'll I'll give you the full on TV situation. All, it looks like all three are SEC Network Plus games. Thursday at 6.30, Friday at 6.30, Saturday at 1 o'clock. South Carolina, they, they are what the 2017 Mississippi State team should have been. They're, they're a team that's been completely victimized by pitching injuries. They lost three to Tommy John in the preseason. They had two more suffer injuries during the year, and the guy who was supposed to be their closer, Sawyer Bridges, He's got a six seven five ERA. Hmm. Not only does this team have no pitching staff, they just can't hit that much either. No one on the roster is hitting over three hundred. They do have a little bit of pop. They have three guys with double digit homers: Jacob Olsen with thirteen, and eleven each from T.J. Hopkins and Luke Berryhill. But that's that's pretty much it. And it's it's easy to see how this team has gone seven and twenty in league play, and very much in danger of missing the SEC tournament. I mean, they're they're fighting now with Kentucky and Alabama. Right now, to to grab a spot in the SEC tournament, and I've got I've got the full SEC tournament scenario for for Mississippi State. I'll I'll touch on that at the end, but it's it's very easy to see how this South Carolina team is at the bottom of that picture. They just they just don't have any pitching right now, and their lineup isn't enough to carry their team. Yeah,
0: and you know I I think I might have said this on the radio. I, it gets mixed up sometimes where I say it, but I, I was just mentioning that. You know there there could be a little danger factor when you're facing a a team that all of a sudden becomes pretty desperate about something and for yeah. South Carolina it's a pretty desperate situation for them if if they have the right chemistry that you know they have the pride to play for to go we can't miss the conference tournament you know we're South Carolina we can't be sitting at home and be one of two teams left out of the SEC tournament. So they're on the verge of that. It's them, Alabama, and who, Kentucky, those three kind of fighting yep. it out to make sure. They're they, all seven and 20. Yeah. So they're, you know, it's up to three teams to claim that last spot. And, you know, so there could be something dangerous there. And and two, I mean, I, there are some teams who you might go, well, they've got their whole postseason already in the bag and wrapped up. There ain't a whole lot of motivation. But this state team doesn't really operate that way. Um, no. and they're not going to operate that way, but state is much better. And if you get typical outings on the mound, um, you know, and it's a very, I just say it like it is, it's a very sweepable series for Mississippi state.
1: It is. I agree. Uh, I agree completely. They're just, this team just doesn't have it this year that that happens to everybody at, at some point, uh, yeah. as they say, that's baseball. And right. it's, it's happened to, to South Carolina right now, so it's a it's a big opportunity for for state as they look ahead to the SEC tournament next weekend. And I, I went through the standings and I've got the the full breakdown of, of Mississippi State's um, kind of possibilities, I guess. Okay. And before we do that, I do need to correct something I said in the previous episode of of Dogpile. I mentioned that Missouri's dealing with that NCAA deal that made them ineligible in football baseball and softball i believe but the appeal of that allows missouri to still be eligible uh, i must have said something uh, otherwise i don't remember my exact wordage but i i believe all of you that that tweeted us and, and let me know that i was i was speaking out of school so missouri uh what are they like 13 13 and 1 yes uh they will be in the scc tournament so correcting myself there now to get to mississippi state the top four of vandy at 20 and 7 arkansas 19 and 8 State and Georgia both at 18 and 9. Those are the only SCC teams with fewer than 12 league losses. And that separation is a good thing because you would need South Carolina to sweep Mississippi State and LSU to sweep Auburn for State to be anything less than fourth in the SCC So if we're going to speak realistically, there isn't really a conversation to be had for State finishing anything outside of the top four. Now, for... State to win the SEC outright, you got to sweep South Carolina. Arkansas has to lose the series with Texas A&M, and then have seven and twenty Kentucky take two of three from twenty and seven Vandy to tie, or take all three for State to win it outright. Georgia doesn't matter in this scenario because even if they sweep Alabama this weekend, they'll still be tied with State, and that just that just swept South Carolina. And we all remember how uh, how the series between the SEC's two pairs of Bulldogs went. So that's that's the very unlikely set of circumstances for State to win the SEC outright. Winning the West requires winning two more games than Arkansas. So that could be State sweeping South Carolina and Arkansas taking one in the series with Texas A&M, or State taking two of three in Arkansas getting swept. Uh, honestly, Honestly, I don't see either of those as super— Likely, it's possible that state sweeps and Texas A&M does state a solid, but it's a tough task considering Arkansas has lost one series since April 1st, while Texas A&M has lost two of its last three weekend series, and the one they won was against a 7-20 and Alabama team. All mm-hmm. of that being said, I think the biggest job this weekend is to win as many games as Georgia does. Since those two are tied in the standings and state swept the series, As long as State does as well against South Carolina as Georgia does against Alabama, State will at worst be number three in the SEC. And the good news in that is Alabama is bad and Georgia is good, so we're assuming the Athens Bulldogs will do well against Alabama. Thus, if the Starkville Bulldogs do just as well against South Carolina, maybe just maybe they get that help they need from Texas A&M to sneak their way up to the SEC West crown and, and the number two seed, in the sec tournament and my my last note it before i ask what you think of that likelihood is if you want to look ahead to who state might play in that first game in hoover it is super complicated yeah and what i'm deeming the most likely outcome that of a three seed they'll play the winner of the six seed versus the 11 seed which is where the biggest log jam in this conference Mm -hmm. is lsu Ole miss texas a&m missouri tennessee and auburn all of them are in between 15 and 12 and 12 and 15. So it's going to be a nightmare to get any form of clarity on that situation before Saturday morning at the very earliest. And I'll I'll keep y'all updated on that on, on Twitter. So follow me at Brett underscore Hudson, but to bring this back to state, Matt, do you agree with me that with all of that laid out, the three seed is the most likely outcome? Yeah. um, That's
0: the way it looks. And you know, if it plays out that way, then Hoover in the SEC would be lucky to have on that Wednesday like a a state versus an LSU or a state versus an Ole Miss mm-hmm. because early you get great TV you get lots of fans there early in the week you know and that kind of thing um, <clears throat> because those are the fan bases although this year I mean the Ole Miss fan base is a little bit blah whatever but uh, you know still there'd be a lot of people there for that one so. But it's just so early, like you said. It's such a log jam on the other side of it. State's gonna be in that top four most likely. And then out of that, everybody else, it's just hard to know, you know, because there's so many different scenarios that could play out. Um, one last thing, Brett. Um yeah, we haven't and aren't going to spend a ton of time on, you know, regional projections. I just found this interesting. Like if you look at baseball America, they moved you know, a few teams out of being hosts and move some other teams in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they moved Baylor and Ole Miss out, but they moved LSU in as a host. That's uh, interesting. It is. And what they have is again, it's a projection, but they have the two, the number two national seed is UCLA opposite the Baton Rouge Regional. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, in their projections, they have state as the number four national seed in Starkville, opposite Corvallis, Oregon. Ooh. So obviously Oregon State hosting, but if they were to get through it, but also they have Texas A and M going to Corvallis. So the one and two out there would either be Oregon State or A and M opposite of yours, and in the Starkville regional they have state hosting with the two seed being Florida state.
1: That's a very friendly draw.
0: Yeah, it is. And Texas state is the three and Jacksonville state as uh, the four. Um,
1: That's an incredibly friendly draw.
0: Yeah, I know. And so anyway, uh, I just thought I'd point it out that one projection shows state as a national seed hosting opposite the defending national champion, uh, potentially, which could be really interesting. So, it's about to yeah. be a really fun time of year. Brett, great job as always. Thank you, sir. He's Brett Hudson. I'm Matt Wyatt. This is Dogpile. Appreciate you tuning in and listening. Brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank and by Jubilation's Cheesecake. Tweet us that answer and you could win. And we'll see you next time. After the weekend, we'll see you again on Dogpile. See you then. See you.